You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. bit of news boys what's up everybody thanks for joining us today my name is ken swanson this is the ap laboratory uh we have some actual news to discuss today which is it's a lot of fun uh to, to kind of go through all that stuff and, and have you know an open conversation about a lot of different things it's a weird bittersweet day uh but we're gonna try to look towards the future a little bit here mitchell schwartz and eric fisher if you have not seen the news, have been released, and we're going to get into all of that with my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. Hello, my friend. Hi. I thought our big news, I thought we were going to discuss me making the flatbreads out on the Pit Boss Grill. I mean, my buffalo chicken flatbread I made tonight was pretty good. I, I thought that was our big news, but I mean, I suppose we can talk football with the, you know, adequately handsome and semi-intelligent Craig Stout joining us over here. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing phenomenally. Uh, the Chiefs making moves. Everybody begged him to make moves. Kent was even begging for it last night. And then you wake up this morning and the Chiefs cut a whole bunch of players and created some holes on the roster that we now get to discuss. Yeah, we're, uh, we'll, we'll get to all the, you know, moving forward in a second. But we will just talk a little bit about two guys that have been big pieces of this organization. Uh, Eric Fisher, the very first draft pick of the Andy Reid era. I was there for it uh, in Music City Radio Hall for that event. Uh, eight years. Did you boo it? No. Okay, good. Who did no, you want did them not. to take? I did not boo it. I think I was okay with Eric Fisher. I think I think that was kind of my I was I was okay with it. Kay Adams actually interviewed me right afterwards. She was she was pulling fans out of the section and interviewing them about how it related to fantasy stuff. So I had to say that he was going to be blocking for Jamal Charles. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, Eric Fisher moves on. Um, he's released officially on the on the wire today. It is being reported that Mitchell Schwartz will be released as well. There is a chance that he could retire per Herbie Teopia of the Kansas City Star, uh, intimating that that is very likelihood, a very very likely thing that could potentially happen here. So um, initial thoughts, Maddie, on the two starting tackles for this organization for the last five years, no longer with the team. Yeah, it was a little bit of a roller coaster this morning just because you see, first thing for me, I saw a tweet about, Eric Fisher being released from Schefter. It came across on Twitter, and you have to do the whole song and dance where first you check the handle, then you look for the check mark, then you got to make sure it's double sourced somewhere because, you know, you don't want to get got at this time of year on Twitter. And so that happens. You know, you tweet about it, you start talking about it, then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, here's Rappaport coming in, trying not to be outgot by Schefter, letting you know that Mitchell Schwartz is also expected to be released. And all of a sudden, like, you have quite the morning on your hands as a Chiefs fan. And it's just, 
it's one of those times where you understand why the move's coming, and we're going to get a lot more into that, I do think, later on in the show. But right now, I mean, you just got to take a second to appreciate both these guys. I mean, Eric Fisher has long been a whipping boy for a lot of Chiefs fans. He has not been a fan favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but he played on some not great teams. He played on some teams that have asked him to do some really difficult stuff, and he's gone out there and played well. Every chance he could, he's gone through some injuries, he's played through pain, he's done anything you could ask, and just because he was the first overall pick rather than the 12th overall pick, that rubbed some people in the world the wrong way, but you have to appreciate him for what he was, and I don't think we have enough time in this podcast to talk about exactly how good Mitchell Schwartz is, let's just make it very simple, that might be one of the best free agent moves that any team has made over the last half a decade. Yeah, absolutely. He was a stalwart at right tackle, perennially the best right tackle in the league. Like He was right there in that conversation every single year, and the Chiefs got him because the Browns cut him for some reason. And I mean, <laughs> like it, it still baffles me to this day why they moved on from him. I know he was a little bit shocked by that. He just immediately walked over to the Chiefs and picked up right where he left off as the best right tackle in the league. So that's we're going to miss both of those guys. Eric Fisher is a guy that I think we've all come to appreciate more and more as his career has gone along, as he's grown, as you've kind of seen his personality open up over the past couple of years as well. We've gotten to know him a little bit better. And I think he's kind of been rewarded with more opportunities to speak to the media. You know, he's gotten a little more praise from his teammates. He was definitely the leader of that offensive line room with Mitchell Schwartz gone this year. So it is a massive vacuum. Both of those guys got rings with this organization i'm very happy that they got rings with this organization i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to suggest that both of those guys will someday be in the chief's ring of honor just because they they were very important to this franchise for so long and you know i wish them both the best and whatever comes from their careers after this i hope eric fisher gets healthy and is able to play for a long time after this i hope mitchell schwartz is either healthy enough to play or healthy enough to live a good retirement life after all this because both of those guys have definitely earned it. Let's just talk about that a little bit here, boys. Because, I mean, there's a lot of emotion tied to these two guys. And interestingly enough, it's it's weird because tackle has been largely set it and forget it. It has not been something in the Andy Reid era especially in the last five when Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher were bookending the offensive line that we've really had too much stress about what's happening. You know, the the Chiefs, they've put two good tackles on the field and then thrown a lot of guys together along the interior uh, for the last, you know, five years, really. Uh, Eric Fisher, we talked about the first pick in the history of this uh, Andy Reid era. And in a draft in 2013 where there wasn't a lot of hits in the first round. No. Eric Fisher survived eight years, made a few Pro Bowls. Had a, he's had a good career. He's a he's a, I mean, I don't think he's a top-tier guy, but, I mean, average starting tackle play is valuable in the National Football League. So having Mitchell Schwartz and having Eric Fisher just kind of be there, set and forget it, we're going to be on new territory kind of – seeing what this new makeshift or this new offensive line looks that they try to, you know, put together through, through free agency in the draft. But I think we just need to talk a little bit about the why before we kind of look to the future. 
because the, because of the emotions. Eric Fisher, the timeline for that Brett Veach put in the time in, on in his press conference was unrealistic. Let's just let's just say it flat. Let's just say the whole press conference was unrealistic. It was. We can just put yeah, that on front street. The now. whole press conference was something, and I think we are kind of getting the first sign of what that something is here today. Or yesterday. You ever seen this? You guys ever seen Lost? Yes. Yes, I have. I have watched Lost. You know the smoke monster? Yes, <laughs> yes. Right I am now. aware of the smoke monster. <laughs> that was that was Brett Veach. Poor Echo. That was Brett Veach. Poor one out. Yeah. So I mean, you saw just. I mean, the Mitchell Schwartz. You know, we 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 want him back. You know, he he just had surgery. Eric Fisher. He'll be back. Before the season starts, we believe our offensive line solutions are in house. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. they're not. We mentioned Austin Ryder too. Austin Ryder's not coming back. Sixty percent of the starting offensive line from week one of la- of this season, this last season, is assuredly gone, and the other two positions are very likely to be replaced over two. There is a chance that we will see an entirely new offensive line. But the Chiefs, the, it was unrealistic if there was any expectations that were actually created about Eric Fisher being able to return. If anybody's opinions changed because Brett Veach said that, well, I'm sorry you're disappointed. But and if that's made this, this news harder, I think deep down the reason that Eric Fisher is not here is because he's not going to be ready week one. In fact, he was he he failed his physical. I mean, obviously he was gonna he he, he was cut with a failed physical. Obviously was, that's gonna he happen. He was going to do that today anyway. Right. Yes, that was yeah. gonna happen anyway. Mitchell Schwartz, I think his back has been worse than people realize for a long stretch of time. Uh, and I I mean this is something that we it's just that the the back stuff and the potential retirement news is not something that's new to us or that we're shocked by, Maddie. Well, yeah, and I think we had mentioned a few times throughout this podcast that, you know, this Mitchell Schwartz's retirement at some point in time may be coming up. Don't be surprised if he doesn't play out this rest of this contract or sign another contract with the Chiefs or someone else. So, like, this is something that has been out there. It's been possible, and I think this past year, the fact that he finally was forced to miss significant time was forced into not playing most of the year into surgery. I think that was kind of the final straw to at least make the Chiefs believe that he might retire, which is enough for them to potentially move on, it sounds like. And then on the flip side, Eric Fisher's due a significant amount of money, and he's simply just not going to be ready to play until midway through this year. Even at that point, you're dealing with an older player, 30 years old, that is coming off an Achilles tear on the last year of his contract. You can't fork over that much money to two guys on the last year of their deal when you don't know what they are going to be able to provide this particular season. You don't know how much one of them is going to be able to play at all. So it's just, it makes sense what is happening. I know there's a lot of buzz out there in national media world about how, oh, Patrick Mahomes' contract is finally catching up to the Chiefs. Oh, championship windows close real soon. This is We knew this was going to happen. Like, the Chiefs didn't have to move on from either one of these guys. They very easily could have just moved over some roster bonus to signing bonus for a couple players. Maybe extended a guy that they're probably going to keep around anyway, and they would be under the cap. They would be fine. They didn't. 
they chose to make these moves because of what is going on with the players. Not that they haven't been great for the Chiefs, not that they can't still potentially be good players in the future if they decide to keep going or get on another roster. It's just for the Chiefs, this had run its course. It was that time. It is not a must-have move for them. Are you saying that Teddy Bruschi did not do his chief salary cap research and maybe was just spouting off a hot take trying to take down Patrick Mahomes in the process? How how dare you suggest that maybe he didn't do that research? Now, each one of these moves under an individual light makes a lot of sense. If you didn't listen to our episode with Chief Bearcat a couple weeks ago, go back and listen to it. He will tell you, you know, the amount of money that this freed up. For a lot of this stuff, the Chiefs are very close to being under the cap and they haven't restructured Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, haven't extended Tyron Matthew, all these moves that are going to create a ton of cap space. They didn't do that. Individually, Mitchell Schwartz, older, coming off of a back surgery, not sure how much longer he wants to play. It could even have been that the Chiefs were asking him, are you ready to retire? Like we're ready to move. I don't, I don't, this is all speculation and hypotheticals here, but individually, each one of these moves makes sense. Mitchell Schwartz makes sense. Eric Fisher being the age that he is coming off an injury and being paid how much he is makes sense. Austin Ryder and the level that he has performed at over the past several years. It makes sense to move on from each one of those guys individually. I think for me, the part that's maybe the most shocking and maybe the most hopeful going forward here is that they moved on from all three simultaneously. Like, it's real easy to say we don't want to turn over that much of the offensive line. Like, it's super easy to say that and just stick by and say, listen, we're going to stick with Austin Ryder. We're going to re-sign him to a low-year deal. We're going to keep Eric Fisher around, which, who knows, maybe when he's healthy, he comes back into the fold at some point. I'm not ruling any of that out. But, I mean... I think it's very easy to say we're going to stick with some of these guys just to keep the continuity in-house. The fact that they're moving on from those guys should tell you how seriously they are taking this offensive line overhaul. Mitchell Schwartz is one of my favorite players in the history of my fandom. And now it's time for me to say something. The Kansas City Chiefs got better today. Uh, There is just no way that this football team can operate with their two big end bookend tackles, expensive bookend tackles with the kind of injuries and the kind of question marks that they have surrounding them. It's just, it's, it's really bad business. And it's a very difficult decision because these are two staples of this organization uh, for eight and five years, respectively. Who knows when Eric Fisher was going to be ready this year? Who knows what kind of play you would have got out of Eric Fisher this year, frankly. Achilles is Achilles are not the most easily recovered from injuries. Sometimes it takes guys a year to get really back into the swing of things. So if you got him in the middle of the season, you would have tried to throw him into the fire, tried to throw him into the fire for a playoff run, and you don't know what you're getting. And you're having to hold on for dear life before then over at left tackle. And backs don't get better. Our pal Sully Football always says, you don't used to have a bad back. And this isn't something that's new. This is just something that finally kind of really was, it, it kind of just, it, it it finally happened. It was a, it, I don't want to say ticking time bomb, but it finally happened with Mitchell Schwartz's back. You cannot operate when you just lost the Super Bowl and you didn't give yourself a chance because you were on a paper thin offensive line. 
as Craig likes to say, five shopping cart carts lined up at left, left er, along the offensive line. I mean, it's impossible. You can't have that situation. And if you have too much, if you have too many injury prone players, too many risks along that offensive line, no matter how ex much experience they have, I hope can I just I hope people understand the Chiefs weren't the Chiefs weren't cutting the the version of Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz that you think they were cutting. I think that's ultimately what this comes down to. Right. This isn't uh, we're not talking 2 years ago Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. We're not talking week 1, Craig. Yeah, we're not even we're not talking, talking the Texans yeah. game. Yeah. I mean, I think people genuinely forget that even two years ago, Mitchell Schwartz at the start of the season was not the Mitchell Schwartz that they knew up until that point. When we went to training camp a couple years ago, we talked about mm -hmm. how every pass rusher was given Schwartz the business. Now, it's training camp. Do with that what you will. But I think that kind of carried over a little bit into the start of the season. And it wasn't until about week four or five where you started to see the Mitchell Schwartz that you knew and loved. Last year... I think it only got worse. You were definitely not getting the Super Bowl version of Mitchell Schwartz before he had to start missing time last year. It was very clear that there was, I don't want to say pain, because maybe it wasn't pain, but there was just some level of play that wasn't there. He could no longer go, get to the same level of movement, the same level of physical play that he had during his prime with the Chiefs. And then Eric Fisher, Eric Fisher's always had an up and down career. He's never been a perfect player. I think you can always go back to the Super Bowl or the Saints game and see some of the worst offensive tackle play you can find. Now, I'm not going to say he wasn't tearing through injuries. I'm not going to say he wasn't playing hurt during that time. He still went out there and played. He was very tough, but he's had some really bad games with the Chiefs. He's also had really good games that people don't talk about. So his play's always been up and down, and now you're taking an elite athlete at the offensive tackle position that's very inconsistent. You're adding age, and you're adding an Achilles injury. This it, there's a chance that he's never going to be the same. When you're inconsistent but an elite athlete, you can make up for it. You lose elite athleticism. What's left? Just the inconsistency. And that stinks. I mean, it stinks a lot because yeah. uh, all three of us genuinely love both of those guys. Um, some of our very favorite players to watch during this stretch since we've been doing all of this. So it it stinks. It stinks to have to replace those guys. Age comes from us all. Let me speak to that. Age comes for <laughs> us all. So, I mean, it really sucks. But we are moving into life without Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. And uh, it's it's going to take a little bit. But I, there's, if they're cutting these guys, I, to segue into it, there's a plan. There is a plan. And there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that they can approach this. And there's a lot of good news when it comes to the offensive line that we'll talk about right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yes. 
All right, we've said our piece about Eric Fischler and Mitchell Schwartz, and now it's time to look forward because that's what this team is going to do. And Craig said it before the break. There's got to be a plan. You don't move on from 60% of your offensive line from the previous season without a plan. And wink, wink, nod, nod, free agency doesn't really start on Monday. They probably know who they're signing. What are you talking about? No, that's illegal, Kent. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't make deals at the Senior Bowl or the Combine. Coaches don't talk. They ignore each other completely. Didn't we lose like a top 100 pick for this? Yeah, exactly. Shouldn't everybody lose a top 100 pick for this? I mean, seriously. And you know what? If an agent is talking about doing an extension for one of his players under contract for a team and he has another player under contract that's a free agent, there's that's definitely never brought up in a conversation ever. Ever. Just saying. But anyways, they have a plan. And there's a lot of different ways that they can approach it. We'll just start with this. Here's the good news, guys, for everyone listening to this. This is a phenomenal draft for offensive linemen. Like, there's so many guys up and down this this draft board that I'm geeked out about. But here's even better news. This, this market for offensive line and free agency keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because there's more guys that just keep getting released. Big, heavy guard contracts keep getting thrown out there tackles keep getting thrown out there there are a lot of players that will be had for good value along the offensive line and so we're going to kind of throw a bunch of different scenarios out here some ways that the chiefs can approach uh rebuilding this offensive line make no mistake make no mistake there's probably four or five stars in fact i think all of us no well no all of us i think have at least at least three new starters, and in some cases, four in our new scenario. So we're going to present three different scenarios along the offensive line. And we're just going to just kind of give you a taste of what it could look like in 2021. So we'll let Maddie kick it off. Maddie, give us your scenario for this offensive line for week one of the NFL season. Well, I want to set the stage real quick because I think we've all kind of been penciling in offensive tackle to the Chiefs in round one. And I don't think that's a bad plan. I think this is a good offensive tackle class. There is a good chance that a quality talent is going to be there. I'm not ruling it out by any stretch of the imagination. But the last two good offensive tackle classes that have existed in the draft, at pick 31, your offensive tackles that you're drafting are Robert Hunt would have been last year, Isaiah Wilson, dude was just traded after one year in the NFL, went pick 29. Robert Hunt was the next next offensive tackle taken. He was taken early in the second round. The Dolphins are playing him maybe at tackle, maybe at guard. They are oddly the team that traded for Isaiah Wilson, who was taken in the first round. And then in the 2016 draft, if you were taking an offensive tackle at pick 31, you'd be taking Jermaine Effetti. These are your two best offensive tackle classes. Well, that's 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 a Seattle problem. Okay, no, let me scroll down and tell you the next offensive tackle you would be then taking. Kent, hold on, still scroll. You'd be taking Jason Spriggs. Oh, that's a Green Bay problem. They don't take I will say, I I agree to the premise that you are creating. I will say I think this tackle class has a chance to be better than both of those. But please continue, Matthew. 
My point is you don't get quality offensive tackles that are just there at the end of round one. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's unlikely because obviously you can draft an offensive tackle not in round one that ends up good. Just And we've you- been able to create scenarios a lot here on this show. For sure. That makes sense without trying All right, on your turn, to get you can take a round one offensive tackle. No, on I'm my just, turn, I'm going to tell you why I'm not taking an offensive tackle. Daddy, I understand what you're saying, but we've also created like six scenarios in the last six weeks that have the Chiefs being able to take a tackle. So you're pivoting entirely on everything we've talked about the last six weeks of this show. Kent, they could take a tackle. The odds of getting a good tackle at the end of round one are very minimal. Again, you can probably get one at some point in time in the draft. It's happened for every team in the NFL. But it is unlikely that your pick at 31 turns out to be a good offensive tackle when six of them have gone before that in the first round. It's just not probable. That being said, I am spending big in free agency because I don't trust the offensive tackle there at 31 to be a great player. Liam Eikenberg! I am drafting or not drafting, but signing Trent Williams. Yeah, he's going to cost a lot of money. And guess what? I don't care. He was one of the best left tackles in the NFL last year. Pay him whatever he wants. We've talked about it with Bearcat. We got the cap guy on. He busted out his calculator. He told us how much money we can save. The Chiefs can't afford him if they want him. You sign Trent Williams. Yes, he's a little older. He'll be 33, I think, during this season. We just saw Andrew Whitworth play until he was like 40. I have no qualms with letting Trent Williams play to 36, 37 years old. Then I'm also going to bring in Nick Martin, offensive center, coming out of the Houston Texans. I think there's a wide range on what people think he's going to cost. PFF, for everything that they may do well or may not do well, I don't know of who could predict the salary of an offensive lineman better than a company that grades them gives pressure records. So they only have Nick Martin at like four and a half million average per year. So if that's the price, by all means, bring him in. I am then going to come out and in the third or the second round of pick 63 draft Jackson Carmen offensive tackle out of Clemson. He is going to compete with Lucas Niang and whoever wins the tackle job plays tackle. Whoever does not have the lead is kicking into left guard to play next to Trent Williams And then we're going to have LDT back next year to play right guard. So across the board, we have Trent Williams, Lucas Niang, Nick Martin, LDT, and Jackson Carmen as your starting five offensive linemen. I would also spend an early day three pick, maybe on a guy like Robert Hunt out of Middle Tennessee State. He would be the guy taking over for LDT in the future because LDT is on the last year of his contract. Yeah, you mean you mean Robert Jones? You want you want to go back in time and draft nope. Robert Hunt again? Yeah, we're gonna draft Robert Hunt again. Same player, really. <laughs> Do not slight Robert Jones like that, Big Bob. Wait, Robert Hunt was the same way. He threw guys around and played right tackle. Guys Robert Hunt was a better football player than Robert Jones. Same but guy. That's a that's a see. I'm not gonna fight you there. Go ahead, Craig. Sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, I like it. I do. I, 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 if you're going to spend significant money in free agency on a single player, spending it at left tackle makes a ton of sense. Yes, Trent Williams is going to be ridiculously expensive. I get it, but he's worth it. He's one of the top tackles in the game. Why wouldn't you want to protect Patrick Mahomes with one of the top tackles in the game in a year that the cap is going down, contracts are a little bit dried up, 
the tackle market is kind of flush. The offensive lineman market is kind of flush. So his value might be a little lower than it would be in another given year. It just makes perfect sense to me. You get a good center in Nick Martin, Lucas Niang, and Jackson Carmen kind of duke it out for that right tackle position. Whichever one doesn't work out, they kick inside. I mean, it makes sense. You get younger, you get better at left tackle because Trent Williams is one of the best left tackles in the game. That's not a slight towards Eric Fisher. It's just true. You do probably take a step back at right tackle, but you're doing it with youth and you're getting a lot cheaper up there. I, I like that group of guys. Uh, I do too. Uh, and, you know, I I think here's here's kind of how I look at it with like a Lucas Niang too. Just kind of, and we're all, Lucas Niang factors in in all, all of ours. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's for the Chiefs. I think you, as a Chiefs fan, should be excited about him, but also not considering him an extra draft pick in this class if that makes sense. I don't think the Chiefs can just get away with, you know, considering Lucas Niang a draft pick for 2021 just and only and only provide limited resources in the draft towards offensive line because we got Lucas Niang. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how that's how I look at it for me. So I I, I like it. I like Lucas Niang at guard. I think he can thrive more immediately. If you play him at guard, and if you let Jackson Carmen and Lucas Niang battle it out, I think that's kind of a great approach. And then just put your best five, and and, and Lucas Niang's a guard, and he's a really good one at that. All right, Craig, let's let's hear your scenario. What do you got here for us? Speaking of depressed markets here, um, Orlando Brown is on the trade block. Uh, Orlando Brown, according to Mike Garofolo, which who knows how true this is is you know being discussed for about a third round pick right now well the chief second round draft pick right now is essentially a third round draft pick it's right at the end of the second round coming off of pick 63 there is not a big deal for a guy of orlando brown's quality because here's the thing you trade pick 63 for orlando brown because if that's all it takes if it does not take a first you can get away with a bottom of the second you are getting a player that not only is better than any tackle that you're going to get there, he's also going to be better than that tackle for several years. Let's say you take a Dylan Radens there. If he happens to fall and you've got a high ceiling on a Dylan Radens, it's going to probably take three years or four years for Dylan Radens to realize that, that uh, ceiling. Orlando Brown is under contract for $3 million next year. You can sign him to an extension, still have a low cap hit, next year and the year after and start paying for it in earnest in 2023. Orlando Brown could be worth a five-year contract, one of those contracts that Brett Veach doesn't hand out very often. He typically does these three-year deals. You can throw a five-year contract at him, make him happy, pay him like he's worth, but backload it because the TV deal's coming and not affect this year's cap very much. Get a massive upgrade at left tackle, for pick 63 and keep yourself clear of having to spend a high asset on a guy that you don't know who's going to be able to walk in and play at a high level. Orlando Brown certainly can. That being said, after that, you've depleted some of your assets in the draft. 
the guy that I would play at left guard to start the season is Nick Allegretti, but I'm going to take a day three stab at my guy, Greg Island, in the hope that he can come in and play left guard. He played that in college at Mississippi State. He's probably a round five guy. So that's the investment that I'm making in the offensive line in the draft. A second round for Orlando Brown, a fifth rounder for Greg Island, and I am paying Corey Lindsay, Lindsley in free agency. About $10 million. He's a, he's under 30. He's a good center that just got let go by the Green Bay Packers. And another guy that you can sign to like a three-year deal and have some solidity up top there. And then hey, you have LDT that's locked in at right guard. You just can't get out of that contract. And I do believe that Lucas Niang is going to get every shot to come in there and play at right tackle immediately. I think that they're probably okay with him doing that if they are moving on from Mitchell Schwartz at this point. I have a lot more faith in him than some other people may. I think that that's a good group. I think that's a younger group. And I think that you've got your basically your rock-solid tackles for the next four years on the edges with Brown and Niang in that group with some young guys on the interior and you basically just had to give up a round two pick and not have to pay all that much in free agency in this cap year. So for me, the big question that we're going to come to here is Orlando Brown, who's a very good offensive tackle, playing right tackle, playing left tackle. He's proven that he is a very good player in the NFL. He is still one of the absolute worst athletes to ever attend the NFL combine playing offensive tackle. And you were, and you were going to take him from a run first team that has a lot of quick passes that turn into QB scrambles real quick and put him into one of the longest developing, deeper pass setting offensive schemes in the entire NFL. Can Orlando Brown work up the arc 10 yards consistently, play after play after play against NFL edge rushers? It's just simply not something he's had to do before. I mean, I get it with his length. And just how good he is at playing the position, I think there is a chance that he could absolutely do it. I'm not going to try to tell you that a guy that I think is bordering on being an all-pro level offensive tackle couldn't ever figure it out. It's just, I think that's the concern. I don't know if he's a perfect scheme fit for the Chiefs. Man, boy, would I give up pick 63 in a heartbeat to get him and have no problem with paying him. I'm... My concern, obviously, with this would be you're getting I, the interior guys that you're having in there. I don't think there's a lot of guys set up. Greg Island's a developmental player on the future. You don't have a lot of guys for the foreseeable future, though, on the inside. Corey Lindsley's getting older. You're probably getting him on a shorter deal. LDT's going to be gone after that next season. So you need to bring in some more younger guys to be the mainstays on the interior. But at least for a single season, if not two, that sets you up with a really good offensive line and you get a left tackle of the future. I think you can I think you can navigate the interior offensive line because this team has historically and they figured out ways to navigate it. Greg Island, you say he's a developmental player, but maybe he develops into a, a quality guard that you can drop in there at some point and, and let Nick Allegretti play there next year. Um, I like Corey Lindsley in the middle of that thing, solidifying the two or, you know, one of the young guys on the, on the left of them and, and then maybe helping you make that transition along to, uh, you know, to the next 2022, whatever 2022 looks like at the guard position, you've got him bookended or you've got, you know, a guy in between both of them. I like it. I think there's a lot, a lot of good there. Orlando Brown's still a young kid. He'll be, he'll be turned 25 this year. Uh, so you'll be getting the prime of his career under control uh, if you do sign him to a big contract. 
Greg Island, he's not a good tackle, but the Chiefs historically, they like that tackle guard versatility. They like to turn tackles into guards, even Greg if he Island was a bad tackle. 37-inch arms. I mean... 37. There's a lot to work with there. I like I like the moves largely. Uh, and, you know, you, you didn't spend a ton of draft capital either. I actually... Or a ton of money in this year's cap. There's room for a Corey Lindsley is really the that, big expenditure there. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. So uh, I've I tried to stay extremely on brand here and decide to play a little bit in the compensatory market. So I'm gonna go with Riley Reef, recently released by the Minnesota Vikings, as my left tackle. He does not count against the compensatory formula continue to compile picks but i think really you can throw a lot of mid-level tackles into this market here you can throw i'm just i'm looking at a mid-level type tackle that i'm going to put there uh on the left side i'm going to put nick allegretti at left guard i believe he's the only guy i have returning so i have four new starters i'm putting nick allegretti at left guard my draft capital is going to be the 63rd pick in the draft and I tried to be a little bit more realistic here. So this might be a little bit of an over, you know, an overspend by the maybe consensus, but Josh Myers, uh, the center out of Oklahoma state or Ohio state. I'm sorry. He's uh, a big dude. He is a little bit stiff in the upper body, but I think he's a quality player. That's going to get the job done and just kind of, he's going to give you quality center play for the next 10 years. He's not the most dynamic guy. He's not the most, you know, the, 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 the smoothest mover, uh, very stiff, but anchors well, strong at the point of attack, can move people a little bit in the run game, operates well in the phone booth. But I think he's a guy that you can drop in there and he'll be consistently good for you for you know, the next 10 years. And I'm using the 63rd pick. I'm, I'm, I'm playing in the compensatory field again with Kevin Zeitler, and he's probably my biggest expenditure here. I think he's a guy that hasn't played poorly. Uh, it's just the Giants are making a decision like other teams are, which is the most interesting thing is a lot of teams when they are looking at how to alleviate their cap situations, the first place they're going is guard. All these teams, these, these teams are really spending or are really making decisions about their guards. Uh, and if they're expensive, they're going to try to figure out a way to navigate it without. Uh, a, a top shelf guard. So Kevin Zeitler, I think the Chiefs can be the vet beneficiary there in that situation at right guard. Uh, he might make a little bit of money. He might make close to the contract. He might wind up, you know, higher up there with a, an eight, nine, ten million dollar per year cap hit. And he's a guy you might want to consider bringing along for multiple years. And then I've got Lucas Niang out at right tackle. Um, you, I think you know, you give him a shot there to fail. Uh, and if he doesn't. You've got a, a quality tackle. He's got all the athletic profile capable of doing it. He's fre- you know he's had an extra time to recovery from some of his injuries. He's had some time to work on his technique, and some YouTube videos indicate that he might actually be doing that. And so I'm giving him a chance out at right tackle. And I will add this: I think I'm going to go look for a guy like Jalen Moore out of Central Michigan, Deontay Smith out of East Carolina. Uh, those are two guys you could look at early day three. And get into the mix. There's, they're guys that have played tackle. They're guys that can probably kick inside to guards. So you're, they're just guys with a lot of versatility or capable of being versatile. Or if you're gonna wait, you know, you could grab like an Alaric Jackson later, like your last pick in the drafts, like Alaric Jackson out of Iowa. I tried to throw some names there. So there's some players that you could look at to add to day three. So I'm, I'm ultimately spending two picks on the offensive line. But really, only one big one, and now we've got. Here's, I think, the thing we got. You know, there's a lot of flexibility with what you can do round one, round three. 
I think that this is probably one of the more, like, of these things, I think this is probably the most realistic with the, not necessarily the players specifically, but going with a mid-tier offensive tackle acquisition. I do think the Chiefs will bring in a player that is a plus starter. Now, is that Riley Reef? Eh, debatable. But the mid-tier level offensive tackle free agency signing, I think, is probably the most realistic move here. Spending a little bit to get a guard. The Chiefs have tried in the past to bring in some interior talent. So I could see something like this happening. I like the fact that there's a young player on the outside and in the middle. You do, like Kent kind of alluded to, looking to draft a potential left tackle of the future early on day three because you will have to replace Riley Reef in the near future. Nick Allegretti, I still don't love. Like, you'd love to get improvement there. Maybe even LDT would beat him out for the left guard spot. I don't know if LDT's ever played on the left side. I don't believe he has. But, I mean, just maybe. But you'd get a solid offensive line. You'd have a better offensive line than last year. You're not breaking the bank. And much to Ken's brand, he is playing in the compensatory pick alley to make this offensive line. That wasn't really why I did it. But it just kind of like it when it kind of push came to shove. I was kind of like, you know what? Might as well. Who are you saving all this money for? Because you didn't uh, spend very much in the free agent pool. You know, I didn't spend all that much. I think this is for me. I just like a little bit of flexibility here. So I mean, I'm not. I don't have a full plan for if I'm adding. I mean, I'm probably adding another mid tier wide receiver. Uh, I'm adding maybe a corner. And, a, and some kind of pass rush. See, I, and I think that that's what completes that. Because when you're looking at that and you're giving yourself that flexibility, you look at that offensive line and you're like, it's fine. Like, you, you're not floored by it. You're not looking at it going, wow, we're really going to do a great job of protecting Patrick Mahomes. You're going to do a good job of protecting Patrick Mahomes. But you don't I really think you're have- doing better. Yeah, you're doing better, it, but it's not necessarily a standout, but it allows you to make your wide receiver better. It allows you to make your pass rush better. It allows you to make your cornerback position better, whereas like maybe in Maddie and I's scenario, you may be able to fix one of those positions rather than giving yourself the flexibility. We know Brett Veach is not going to walk into the draft with like a starter-level hole in one of his spots. He just does not do that. So this is probably the most realistic of any of the scenarios that we've listed so far. Well, from my point of view, what I was doing is I was kind of playing to Brett Veach's tendencies. He tends to overcorrect. When he goes into free agent spending, he Fair. tends to spend big at the area that he saw as a problem. So like, the, I mean, obviously last year they just stood pat, but you mean you had... They went out and broke the bank on Sammy. No, Pat Watkins. didn't stand. Pat didn't stand. No, Pat was not able to stand. Pat, he was on the ground. <laughs> he, was, he was on his rear for the entire game. And Kent wants to put that same level of offensive line back out there next year. I <laughs> oh, tell come you, on. no. <laughs> so no, that's they, a, that. That is an infinitely better line than what Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher would be this year, and it's better, infinitely better than what they had in the Super Bowl. Okay, we don't have time to go into that. I don't. It, we, we will we will say maybe 
But Brett Veach likes to spend on areas that he sees as a weakness. I mean, he did it in the past when he has spent money. So like, I do think there's a chance they do really actually go out and spend up the offensive line. But I do think I'm with Craig there. What Kent did here is it gives them the flexibility to spend at a lot of other positions. You're improving more spots on the team rather than improving the offensive line just significantly versus the route that kind of Craig and I went. I... I do think that Brevich is going to attack a position, and whether that's offensive line, whether it's defensive end, I don't know. If you use this, the Riley Reef, and just bring in him and Zeitler as your plan on the offensive line, I do think that's kind of your secondary addition and free agency. That's not your first guy. That's not the guy that you lead off the presser with when you're talking to the new players on the team. So hopefully that's paired with a good edge rusher or receiver, and you're kind of trying to just boost the entire team in some way rather than just the offensive line uh i found it interesting we all basically used the identical draft capital as each other we avoided round one and i think that's what everybody's looking at like you're going to see three million mock drafts now that position the chiefs taking an offensive tackle in round one and honestly for me looking at their ability or not their ability but rather their their willingness to move on from both of their tackles makes me believe that they've got somebody somebody's in mind already i i don't know it might make it a little less likely for me that they're going tackle out in well, round one now the mock drafts that we've done recently i know kent was talking about earlier how we've done a lot of variations that have had an offensive tackle there and like I agree. We definitely have. And I think there's a chance a guy falls that you really like. But we just did this last one earlier this week on the draft show. I despised the board that was looking at me in terms of taking an offensive lineman. Like, I did not like the tackle options that were there for round one. When you're taking the sixth, seventh, or eighth offensive, best offensive tackle in the class, and you're doing it with a first round pick, that just rarely works out well for teams in the past, the NFL. I almost think you are better just taking whoever the best player at a position of some level of need rather than forcing a pick in the first round. That's why I'd really like to attack offensive tackle and free agency with somebody at some point in time. So just circling back because, and I, I want to throw a couple things at you. So with tackle, that 2016 Jermaine Effetti draft, Jermaine Effetti is the fifth tackle off the board in the, in the first round. Fifth tackle in this draft is a, a Jalen Mayfield. Samuel Cosme, Liam Eichenberg. That's your top seven right there. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're getting Samuel Cosme or Jalen Mayfield, I know you're saying the chances of him painting out historically That's, may not be as high. Right. The bust potential is much higher on a Cosme or a Mayfield than it is but, on Tevin Jenkins. I just, I'm just, but saying, that's also that projecting it, Slater and Tevin Jenkins and Elijah Vera Tucker all at tackles. And I think the odds of not all of them playing, some of those guys are going to play guard. I mean, yeah, but okay. Sewell, Derisaw, Slater, Tevin Jenkins, Jalen Mayfield, Samuel Cosme, Liam Eikenberg, Elijah Vera Tucker. That's eight. Yeah, and I, now I think some of them we might guard. call a guard. You're right. I'm just, I just, I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking out loud. I find sure. it interesting. Uh, one other question for you: Riley Reef, Lucas Niang at left guard, Josh Myers, Kevin Zeitler, Tevin Jenkins. So you spend your first two picks along the interior of the offensive line. How do you feel? 
Matthew. I mean, I think you got a lot better offensive line there. I mean, I think you spent a lot of draft capital to do it, but and you spent not a lot, but some money in free. Like you put a lot of assets into the offensive line to get there, but you got better. And like I still, I would still say, you have the option to sign a Romeo Aquara, or if Von Miller gets released, you have the space to make a move like that and also draft a defense or sign a defensive end. So it's there. I just don't love Riley Reeve. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> I think that's a half-words, backwards step from what Eric Fisher has been for the Chiefs these last few years. So, like, I just, I feel like you were taking, at best, a lateral move to an older player to play that left tackle position. I just don't love the the optics of doing that. Okay. Uh, if, from, from my perspective... I love it because I get big Tev Jenkins playing on my team, and I love that man. I I can ignore the left side of the line and just watch the right side for all I care. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's that's it for the uh, O-line special. Roster building is always fun for us, and having something of tangible news to discuss with all you guys was a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back with the AP Laboratory mailbag on Monday. We'll catch you later.